This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. Welcome back to our discussion on culture, what it is, and why it's important, especially for churches. I'm here again with Leslie Bennett, Family Church Communications Director, and we are going to do our best to define some of the key characteristics of our culture at Family Church and then talk about how those actually play out in the day-to-day. You certainly are, and I just want to make one thing clear to our listeners. We always say this, but we haven't figured it all out. We're just doing our best to identify and articulate what we do to create and maintain this healthy church culture. We've talked about it before, about how every culture takes on the personality and the values of the leader. So, Jimmy, it's not all about you. No, it isn't. But you do have a key role here at Family Church. So can you articulate for us some of the defining relational values of our culture? Well, one of the things that we want to do is we want to embody family at every level of our organization. So when we chose the name Family Church, Mm -hmm. I don't think we were really thinking it all the way through. It just seemed like a good name. We kind of got down to the point where, hey, at some point you have to choose a name. And we just kind of said, okay, we're going with this one. But I'm so glad that we did. I think God's hand was on that because I think it has created or helped emphasize an ethos a vibe that flows through our organization from top to bottom. So we want to embody this idea of family. And so we've kind of adopted family kind of as our model, as our metaphor for how we do meetings, for how we hold church services, for how we do outreach. It's really been a big deal for us. So one of the things that we try to do is say, okay, if we're going to be family, then at least on our leadership team, why don't we treat one another like brothers and sisters? Is there an organizational chart? Of course. So there's a hierarchy. Some positions are subordinate to others. But what we want to do is no no matter where your position is on the organizational chart, whether you're an administrative assistant or whether you work on our facilities team or whether you're a volunteer in the parking lot or whether you're the chairman of deacons or or the lead pastor, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ and we need to treat one another like peers. So we should never talk down to someone or talk down about their role or their gifting, or where they kind of fall in the organizational hierarchy, because really, family means we're equals in, right. in, a, in a way. Yeah, and we're all in this together, and we're all pulling for each other. I know it really helps me to think about family as I relate to people on our team, because I think about, you know, if this is my brother, how do I want my brother right. to succeed? How do right. I want to help my brother succeed? If this is my sister, how can I come alongside her and help her with what she's doing right. um, versus some of the you know, interpersonal conflict that we might have? I mean, right. I know we're all Christians and everything. Um, Sibling rivalry is still real. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> okay. we're still human. And so, yeah. you know, in the day-to-day when the heat gets turned up, when we've all got a million things to do, you know, this concept really helps me remember how I want to relate to our staff. And I, I think that it's helpful that you've articulated it for us in that way. Yeah, Dr. David Adams is a professor at Liberty University, and he's kind of a mentor in my life. And one of the things that he taught me, he said, look, when you're working with other believers in an organization, whether it's a church or an educational institution, 
He said, if we'll look at each other and say, listen, our calling and our gifting is equal, Mm -hmm. even if our positions are different. Right. And so I know when I worked for Al Moeller at Southern Seminary, and I was a dean at Boyce College, or when I worked for Kevin Ezel at Highview Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, both of those guys were great leaders, and they really embodied that. I don't think they ever articulated it this way, but they embodied it. Uh, They treated you like a peer, even though there was an organizational leadership structure. And so if we can look at one another and say, hey, listen, listen. Uh, Leslie, I may be your boss, but in some way, your calling is equal to my calling. In some areas, your gifting is greater than my gifting. And so I should treat you like a sister, not like a worker bee or not like um, somebody who's less than me. And so that's really important. I learned that from Dave Adams. That was really great. I know at my house, you know, we have eight children. You have three at your house. And so they're in all different life stages and they're all totally different and there's a birth order, mm-hmm. and some of them are a lot better than others at different things. I mean, to be totally honest, some of my kids are smarter than the others. Some of them are better athletes. Some of them are better looking. But whatever it is, it just is like, look, they're a family, and everybody contributes, and we love them all the same, and I want them to pull for each other. And I know there's a natural rivalry there sometimes, but I want them to pull for each other. And at the end of the day, and this is kind of uh, – this may be a little crass for some of our listeners, but at the end of the day – if somebody messes with one of the Scroggins kids, I want the rest of the Scroggins kids to get involved. That's right. Right? That's right. Well, that's how I kind of feel about family church. If yeah. anybody ever messes, we have an issue with anybody on the family church team. I want to circle the wagons and I want all of us to drop our rivalries and get involved. Anyway, I think that's a really great principle for churches of all sizes and stages to embrace. And the other thing is when you look at our campuses, we've talked about this before. But we have 11 campuses, so some speak English and Portuguese and Spanish, and they're different sizes. They have different kinds of facilities, different kinds of leaders. I just think there ought to always, we ought to work towards a family resemblance among the brothers and sisters and the family church team. That's good. Yeah. I really like that because, you know, sometimes people say, how are you going to do this multi-site church thing and how are you going to keep it all together? And I think that language helps us figure out how we're going to keep it together because we're not going to be identical twins. Right. We don't all have to be exactly the same, but there is going to be a family resemblance. Right. Um, when you look at our family, your family, my family, you see, oh, that looks like your daughter looks like you or your son right. looks like you. So that's an important concept for us to keep in mind as we do the multi-site church here no at doubt. Family Church. Another thing that I think is really helpful to think about is we want to let people grow up. That's right. That's a great You know, point. we want boys to become men and we yes. want girls to become women. And so we want to be in a position as, you know, maybe older, longer here, more mature. It doesn't matter how you want to phrase that, but of releasing responsibility to people who come on our team. It doesn't matter their age. It doesn't really matter what they're doing. But if we're in a position of responsibility, how can we release some of that to these people and let them figure out how they want to do it? And we don't always have to hold on to everything so tightly because we want our family to grow up Mm -hmm. and we want to be able to go and take on some other things ourselves. And so we can release responsibility to those that are coming along either new on the team or just Mm -hmm. younger, however. Yeah, and I think that's really important, Leslie, too, because if you're in a healthy organization, whether it's a small church, medium-sized church, large church, whether you're dealing with paid, part-time, volunteers, full-time, doesn't matter, 
you're going to have, hopefully, in a multi-generational situation, you're going to have people of all experience levels at all times. So if you come to family church, you're going to see people that work here that are in their 60s. Right. We have one in their 70s. You're going to see people in their 50s, people in their 40s, people in their 30s, people in their 20s. And so in order to be a growing organization that's dynamic, we're going to have to constantly kind of feed the bottom of the pipeline with people in their 20s. So we want to constantly recruit and hire people in their 20s. They breathe new life into our organization. At the same time, we don't want people to feel like they're going to age out because, you know, people in their 50s or 60s or even 70s nowadays, they may actually be at the very top of their game when they're in their 60s. Yeah. A lot of people in there, you know, I think Bev Bonner's probably going to be mad, but I know she turned 60, but Bev Bonner is a great leader in our organization, but yeah. she is better at her job right now at 60 years old than she's ever been in her entire right. life. Yeah, Bev, and so the worst thing we could do star. is move. Right. But those of us, you know, I'm in my late 40s, Leslie, you're relatively my age. And there's close. Yeah, close. And there's, so we have to look at younger people on our team you know, not like we're competing with them. We have to look at them as um, younger brothers and sisters that we're going to bring along. And I sort of look at them sometimes. I just look at them as sons and daughters, to be quite honest with you, Jimmy. And it does help me to think about them that way because I yeah. know I'm always going to pull for my son. I know I'm always going right. to pull for my daughter. And quite frankly, all my kids are in their 20s and sometimes they don't really want to listen to what I have to say. <laughs> so it's kind of nice to come to work there you and go. you have them 24-year-old people who actually think that what you have to say matters. I don't know. No, I agree, but I think that's all part of treating my part, Ben. Hey, it's a joy. But I think that is, and I, by the way, I second that emotion. I have kids in their 20s also, and I feel the exact same way. But I think all of this is part of treating people like family, Mm -hmm. letting people grow up, letting them grow in responsibilities. And, you know, churches make a huge mistake when they don't let people in their 20s have significant responsibility. The whole world is being run by people in their 20s. You go to New York City, you go to Washington, D.C., people in their 20s are writing laws, they are writing bills, they are starting companies, they are moving money around the world. And why in the world we think in church we shouldn't give them significant responsibility, I don't know. And part of family is letting people grow up and then treating them that way. You know, we've got a couple of guys on our team that are in their mid-30s now. Mm -hmm. But when I first met them, they were teenagers. Yeah. And so Derek Simpson and Aaron Philippone, I knew them when they were college kids and I was their youth pastor. Well, over the years, they've gone off and worked other places. And we've kind of brought the band back together here at Family Church. Mm Mm-hmm. But part of my task is to treat Derek and Aaron like grown men. And sometimes it's easy for me to think of them like they were when I first met them. That's a good point. But the truth is, these are grown men who are very good at what they do. They have acquired skills and they've gotten degrees and they have families and they have children. They're excellent. And just letting people grow up is, uh, I think that's that's a crucial part of having a family feel to your Mm -hmm. organization and your culture. Excellent. So embody family at every level of the organization. And then what else would you say is a key relational characteristic for us here? Well, I think one of the things you got to have a culture of trust. And Mm -hmm. so one of the things that holds a family together is if a family trusts each other. Mm -hmm. When you trust each other, it's not that you think that dad's perfect or mom's perfect or your brothers and sisters are perfect. But if you think, you know, generally I can trust them, Mm -hmm. that means I have a a mom and a dad and I have brothers and sisters that have integrity and live lives of integrity. That's right. We've got to be people like that at family church. If you want to have a family environment and that to be part of your culture, integrity is kind of the bedrock of that. It really is. I so much agree. I think integrity is 
I mean, it's just key to life. I love the definition of integrity of just being wholeness. And when you think about this idea of am I the same on the inside as I am on the outside, I mean, that's just a good principle to live by in life in general, much less on a church staff. And so it's so important that we keep that at the forefront of who we are as people, trying to be people of integrity, trying to ask ourselves, you know, am I putting on a mask? Am I trying to act like someone Mm -hmm. I'm not? Am I trying to live up to some other standard other than the standard of, you know, the audience of one principle Mm -hmm. that God's called me here and I'm going to do what God wants me to do? And so I think that that's really key. And how else does that play out other than just who we are as people? Like, how do we work that out, this principle of integrity or a culture of trust in our organization? Well, let me just give you some some concrete examples. And again, uh, for people listening to the podcast, these are things that every single organization could do at, of any size. And if you don't do exactly what we're doing, we, we certainly affirm that you're right to do what you want. But I would do something along these lines. You know, one of the things that we do, Leslie, is uh, we have what's called our Staff 10 Commandments. Yep. I got these from Kevin Ezel when I was working for him, and I think he got them from Rick Warren. So these okay. you can Google these Staff 10 Commandments, or you can we'll post them in our show notes. But all these Staff 10 Commandments are is just kind of uh, guidelines and rules for how we relate to the opposite sex. So the Ten Commandments are things like you don't go in a home or an apartment alone with a member of the opposite sex that you're not related to. Mm-hmm. You don't ride in a car alone with a member of the opposite sex that you're not related to. You don't hang out at the office alone. And by alone, I mean after hours right. uh, with a member of the opposite sex that you're not related to. You're careful with your electronic communication or phone communication or physical affection with members of the opposite sex that you're not related to. So you have all of these different commandments. And what they do is they create guardrails for Mm -hmm. us because, you know, Leslie, I always say as a pastor, I've literally dealt with too many people who've had affairs or sought to have affairs. And, you know, every single person who had an affair that I've dealt with in our church did it when they were alone with somebody that uh, the opposite sex they weren't related to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what we're trying to do is just kind of remove the opportunity right. and protect ourselves. And this Pretty is the relevant. Billy Graham role. Yeah. yeah. Pretty relevant in the Me Too era, I would say, right? Are you kidding? We're seeing all these things in the news and it keeps coming to light more and more. And if we can put this in place, then we can really follow it for ourselves. And if we can hold ourselves and our staff accountable to it, we have less chance. I'm not going to say it's never going to happen, but we right. have less chance of seeing something happen that could destroy not only our lives personally, but our church. And no doubt. And this is why this is so crucial. The Billy Graham rule, now it's called the Mike Pence rule. Right. And he gets a lot of ridicule for it. But this is the rule that we have. And this is the way that I live my life. And I would live my life this way as much as I could, whether I was a pastor or not, because This is all part of establishing a culture of integrity. It's not Mm -hmm. about uh, if you disagree with this rule or that rule, that's fine, but the culture of integrity in a church. So what has to happen is the women that work at our church or that attend our church have to have confidence that the men who serve in our church, especially as pastors, are going to treat them with integrity. Mm -hmm. The husbands of the ladies that work at our church have to have confidence that the men who work in this church are going to live with integrity and vice versa. And so that's part of establishing a culture of trust. If you work here, you serve here, you can trust us to have integrity in these areas. Same thing with a policy of handling money. You know, Mm -hmm. we allow any pastors to handle money. So no pastors can write checks. Pastors don't take money. They don't Mm -hmm. take up the offering. Somebody brings us a check. We tell them to bring it to the office or send it in. Trying to protect 
our pastors from being accused of mishandling money. Because if you if you don't have integrity in the area of your sexuality and you don't have integrity in how you handle your finances, people will just never trust you to have integrity in any area. I was just going to ask you, we have these policies in place. So when you get hired here at Family Church, do we just give you this policy and then you go about your merry way forever and <laughs> no. ever? We review this policy multiple times a year. It's at the forefront. We talk about it in sermons. In fact, these policies have been talked about in sermons so much at all of our campuses that the rank and file attenders at Family Church know we have these policies. And so, in fact, they joke about it. So, like, you know, a lady will come in the office and she'll go, oh, am I allowed to go in there because of Ten Commandments, you know? And and we all laugh about it. But the truth is, I love that Mm -hmm. because it's them saying, you know, Pastor, actually, we're helping you with your integrity. Right. You know, and people know. Other people in our organization, not many, but a few trusted people have access to my email. So I don't have any secret email channels coming to me. Church members email me something, some other people are going to see that. Right. Leslie, other people actually, someone else opens my mail before mm-hmm. I get it. And they look at it before I look at it. People just need to know that. So the reason for that is we're trying to establish a culture of trust and integrity. And you can say, oh, Jimmy, you're over the top and that's crazy. That's fine. But you know what? We've got a pretty good track record around here for dealing with stuff. But part of a culture of integrity, Leslie, Mm -hmm. is also having a culture of repentance, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. It's because, you know, you and I work closely together. So I know that you're not perfect. You know that I'm not perfect. But having a culture of repentance is part of having a culture of integrity. Mm -hmm. So that when you do mess up, if you misspeak, if you treat someone wrong, if you cross some line in terms of your behavior or your words – Having a culture where you we're willing to say, hey, you know what? I really messed that up. I shouldn't have I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Hey, that was wrong. I shouldn't have responded that way in the meeting. And that lets you and others in our organization say, Oh, well, then we all have integrity. Yeah. Because integrity can't be perfection. Right. Right? <laughs> and repentance has to be part of that. Yeah. That's really good. And that really does flow into the next thing, which is creating a culture of love. I mean, those are so quite closely tied together. They are. Even in the Bible, you know, love does not keep a record of wrongs. So we're always continually repenting. But let's talk a little bit about how we create a culture of love here at Family Church. All right. So we want to embody family at every level. We got to have integrity that combines Mm -hmm. with the principle. And all of it's really underlined by we have to love Christ. Mm -hmm. And because we love Christ, we love one another. Tom Mullins is the founding pastor of Christ Fellowship here in Palm Beach County, one of the great churches, one of the largest churches in America. And Tom's a great mentor and friend in my life and so many other pastors. But Tom told me years ago, he said, Jimmy, here's what you need to do when you go to your church. He said, you need to look those people in the face, your staff and your people almost every week and tell them that you love them. Mm -hmm. You need to tell them that you love them and you need to mean it and you need to actually love them. If your staff, if your team, if your people believe that you love them, they'll actually give you a lot of grace and they'll help you do things for the Lord that they wouldn't otherwise do. Ever since I've been here, one of the things that I do almost every Sunday is I say to the church, hey, listen, it's an honor to be your pastor. I really love you. I love being your pastor. I tell our staff, yeah. you know, I love you. I tell our volunteers, I love you. And I don't mean that flippantly. It's not a slogan. It's true. And then I think there's this idea of appropriately expressing affection for each other. So, mm-hmm. you know, we talked, we had some consultant come in and he talked about the benefits of positive right. touch yeah. and positive words. Mm-hmm. And those are important. And you have to do it appropriately and you have to be careful. But I do think there are appropriate ways to express affection. And that's part of yeah. uh, life together. It's such a balance, you know. There is. These- 
we've got these things that we have to guard, but then we don't want to get, you know, so vigilant that we can't just be normal with each other. Right. And, you know, when you talk about love, it makes me think about that may seem obvious to people. Of course, we're going to tell our church that we love them. Of course, we're going to make sure that our fellow staff members know that we love them. It makes me think about when I was growing up, I lived in a family that didn't say, I love you Mm. for whatever reason. I don't know why. Right. And when I became a believer, I felt like I wanted to tell my parents that I loved them. And I remember getting up the courage. I literally remember this, getting up the courage to tell my dad that I loved him for Mm. the very first time. Mm. So I just don't think that seems kind of trite to say, let's all love each other. Let's have a culture of love. And saying it really does help develop it. Um, It does, because there are places where you never hear it, and then you're not sure that it's okay to say it. You're not sure if it's really there. Right. So saying it really does matter. Well, all of this, if you have family and you're committed to that, and you have integrity, which allows mm-hmm. for a culture of repentance where mm-hmm. when you mess up, you can repent and receive grace and you really love each other. What happens is you create a culture where people feel safe yeah. and people feel confident and people feel like they can be who they are and they can actually have be in relationship and on a team where they're not f- afraid of rejection. Because most people live their whole life afraid of rejection, but let's be on a team and in a church where we don't have to fear rejection because we're going to treat one another like family. We're going to have integrity. We're going to leave room for repentance. And it's all underlined by a culture of love. And I think, Leslie, this is what Jesus did with his disciples. I think this is what Jesus is modeling. And even, you know what Paul says in the book of Romans, the the motivator for Jesus, Mm -hmm. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So all this is part of us laying our lives down for one another on a team as a family. And could you just, do we have time to talk about the first team concept today? Because I think that that's such a key concept that you've expressed to us numerous times. And I think it'd be really helpful for our listeners to hear what means when we talk about having a first team concept. First team is a crucial concept. We absolutely need to talk about that. But Leslie, we're kind of out of time today. So why don't we push that to our next episode and we will pick up talking about the first team concept, a crucial concept for leading and building healthy church culture, especially on a leadership team. I want our listeners to know that not only are we re-engaging with our podcast, but we are also opening our registration for Sharper 2019, where we want to interact with you on this topic, creating a healthy church culture. You can register today and bring your team to sharperconference.com. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.